This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 240 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Bad actors continue to accelerate their use of inauthentic or captured online identities to facilitate their activities. Whether it's phishing for credentials, making use of leaked identity databases, or scraping publicly accessible information, they take advantage of weaknesses in identity management systems and inadequate awareness to make their way into and, once inside, around systems. Our guest this week is Recorded Futures Vice President of Product Management, Jamie Zajek. She explains the ongoing challenges organizations face with identity fraud and what can be done to prevent it. Stay with us. You know, I've always been in a pretty technical area. So I came up through software development and software QA. And really what I found in developing the product was, uh, you know, I wanted to to be closer to the users and what they wanted in the product and really what problems we were solving. I kind of naturally gravitated towards that with some of my early career. Uh, and I just fell in love with product management, worked my way through it. And what I realized about, you know, five years ago was there's no better industry to work in than cybersecurity. The problems are complex. They're challenging. They're pervasive for everybody in the world, you know, consumers and businesses alike. And, you know, you get to feel really good when you're able to disrupt a bad guy at some point. Um, and you get the ability to do that here in security. Yeah, it, you know, I, I'm on board with you on that. And for me, additionally, I'm I'm curious if you find this as well that it's it's always intellectually stimulating. There's always new things to learn and interesting people to talk to. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think once you think you figured something out, then you got to think about it like a bad guy and try to reverse engineer it and come up with a way to get around it, and then go protect that as well. Well, today we are focusing on synthetic identities and how uh, the bad actors are uh, potentially going to implement them or or perhaps already doing so. Um, Can we just start off with some definitions here? How do you all define synthetic identities? So to look at a synthetic identity, I think we've got to take a couple of perspectives to really understand what that is. The first is Everything that we do happens online, happens on the Internet nowadays. And you could argue about, you know, some obscure business process that doesn't, uh, but probably at some point in the near future it will. And so that effectively means every person, every machine is logging in and authenticating to do something online. So when I look at a synthetic identity, I'm looking to say, how do I trust that that person or that machine, and let's talk about, you know, people for maybe a focus, how do I trust that hmm. that person's logging in is really who they say they are? Whether it's someone logging into their own bank account, whether it's an employee logging into the corporate network, I want to know that they are who they say they are. And so synthetic identity is trying to comprise through a series of, you know, maybe disparate entities that you found or disparate attributes about that user, essentially trying to impersonate them and execute some sort of identity fraud, you know, because you look as much like that person as a machine could possibly identify uh, that to be. And so how are the bad actors generally going about that these days? So there's a couple of ways uh, that, that the, the bad actors and the threat actors are trying to do this. One is, is scouring kind of various different you know, sources. So using dark web places where they can buy data or where they can go and steal it themselves, depending on you know, where they fit in that, in that bad guy life cycle. 
uh, and trying to combine it together to make, you know, to impersonate a person. Now, this could be a couple of things. It could be that I'm really targeted. I really know the person that I want to try to steal their identity or impersonate them from. And so I may launch some targeted, you know, uh, purchases or scouring or, or or malware, you know, stealers out there to try to get information about one particular person or type of person. Or you have people that use a little bit more of a, a spraying type technique where they're saying, hey, I've got a little bit of information about a lot of people. Can I somehow use that to deduce via other analytics and other, you know, processes something that's good enough to impersonate a user? Uh, and so we see both types of activities out there happening. And depending on what the... Um, what the motive of that threat actor is will depend on which technique they might take. You know, I, I think um, we see a lot of uh, examples of, of social engineering, and I'm, I'm curious of the, the kind of spectrum of, of things that we're talking about here. I mean, is this, is this as simple as those, or could it be as simple as those uh, examples where someone uh, sends you a text message and says, hey, you know, hey, Dave, it's your boss. I, I need you to do something for me. Is that, can it be that basic and straightforward? Yeah, so much of it starts with phishing or, you know, smishing, as, as you mentioned on the tech side. But it doesn't always stop there. One thing that, you know, a lot of people get really focused on, on trying to stop phishing, and they should. But when you are infiltrated, when you give up your credentials, or when you uh, perhaps click on a link that installs some software, it's usually not a one-and-done scenario. It might be installing malware, or it might be leveraging what it was able to steal to go deeper and get more. And so you know, some of these attacks can get really sophisticated. They can start with, I just want to harvest your username and password to your email. But then they might, okay, well, I got your username and password to your email. Now I can log into your email. Now I can learn more about your pattern of life. I can learn what you're using for uh, utility services, where you work. Maybe you've shared your work credentials or some information about your start and end date uh, in your personal email. And so I can use that to branch out into a lot of uh, other applications where I could use that synthetic identity to impersonate you. And, and then, you know, at the high end of this, where, where we do have these sophisticated actors, what sorts of things are they doing? Who, who are they targeting? So they're targeting all sorts of areas. You know, if you think of, a, you know, maybe a large public company, if I can target and get access to, you know, high value information about earnings prior to release, well, now I can go, you know, do insider trading type activities. So you can get really, really targeted um, with that. Or you'll also get people that go after more low-level employees or disgruntled employees and use that to, to get in. Once you're in, it depends on the motives. One of the biggest trends that we've seen in the past few years have been bad actors not, not working only for their own benefit, but also kind of working together where they might infiltrate initial access to a company you know, they've gotten some identity information, they've gotten some other technical information, they might sell that to someone else who's going to use that to install ransomware and hold them ransom, or someone else who might steal other information from them. Uh, so on that sophisticated end, you're oftentimes going to be working with a multitude of threat actors, each with their own motives, not necessarily working together, but working to hand off and sell information and kind of have this ecosystem of fraud that they're, that they're working through. And as the technology evolves and, and more powerful systems are available to people, are we concerned with things like deep fakes? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, we've got to follow all the technology because, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, the, the bad guys are always looking for ways that they can they can get an edge. And so as practitioners, as protectors, you know, we've got to figure out how we can try to anticipate and resolve some of those challenges as well. 
Once someone has gotten into a system, is it do they have to continue that uh, to continue that ruse? You know, continue to pretend as if they are the person that they're trying to to be. We'll see people who continue to impersonate. We'll also see people pivot, and depending on what other information they can get, depend might depend on the next chain. So, for example, hmm. uh, if I've impersonated a user and I've gotten onto a particular system. I might then launch a more technical campaign where now I'm, in, I'm impersonating machines or I'm looking for particular vulnerabilities that are only internally exposed. Maybe you've patched the externally accessible, but because I'm inside, I can, I can get into. Uh, or looking for other applications that aren't properly secured, even if they're cloud-based or such. Uh, so from there, it's really, you know, opens the door to people, which is why I, I think that focusing on the identity and the users who are logging in and gaining the initial access is one of the most important areas to really look at at securing and trying to get ahead of because it just gets more complex from there. And what are some of the ways that uh, organizations can be on top of that? What are the things that you recommend? So a couple of things. You know, there's a lot of best practices out there that that most people either know they should be following or are starting to. So, you know, having least privileged accounts is a big one that I always look at. If the users that you're granting access to have as little permission as possible, then you can try to minimize the damage. You need to implement technical safeguards, uh, you know, complex passwords, password rotation policies, uh, multi-factor authentication everywhere is a big one. Uh, but you also want to kind of, you know, take that approach of how do I think like the bad guys? How do I figure out what they're going to use? And one thing that's, I think, underrepresented in the industry is monitoring for accounts that have been compromised. So if you can mm. monitor what those those bad guys are doing, what information they've they've stolen, who they've sold it to online, who they're trying to sell it to, you know, on, on dark web forums and, and, you know, specialty areas like that, then you can try to get ahead of, hey, this is about to be weaponized. This is something the bad guys are looking to leverage against me or against one of my, my vendors. And so I think this kind of monitoring for compromised accounts is something that is a newer you know, newer in the past few years idea. And I think it's one of the things that will become more mainstream in the coming years for, for many businesses to take on. I see. So that's really where the, the broader application of threat intelligence can come in here. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you suppose we're headed with this in, in terms of this sort of cat and mouse between the folks who are doing this and those trying to, to tamp down on it? Where do you suppose we're headed? You know, I think if the if the comparables we have around, you know, ransomware and, and other malware and you know, other vulnerabilities being exploited, uh, I'd have to say I think that we're not heading in completely the right direction. Uh, it seems like every year we're getting worse and worse, uh, you know, bigger attacks impacting more people. You know, it's, it's depressing to think about, uh, but I, I do think the world is getting more online and more complex. So I, I see this challenge in some ways for a lot of businesses and a lot of people who are impacted personally getting a little bit worse before it gets better as you know the technology is starting to come to fruition to help people really get ahead here but the the adoption is where we need to focus on next is getting more people aware of how they can protect against identity fraud uh, getting people uh, educated about the problems that that they have in this area and you know driving to solutions to become more mainstream to protect against this what about on an individual basis? You know, what can each of us do to try to minimize our surface area for this sort of thing? So I think as individuals, uh, 
you know, one of the, the simplest things is don't click on links you don't know about. You know, if the mm. offer sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, almost nobody's going to email you to give you a million dollars, even if you really, <laughs> really want it. Uh, so I think trying to prevent phishing is a really big one because that's really the one of the main attack vectors that so many criminals are using. It's, you know, pretty simple to to launch a basic phishing campaign and you can gain a lot of high value information and you can pivot from there. So, you know, using some of these security best practices around not clicking links, making sure the websites you go to are secure, validating that, you know, the website has the little lock in the icon before you give your credentials. Uh, all of these little things really kind of help add up. And I think a lot of the onus also needs to be put on on businesses, uh, not just businesses as our employers, but the businesses that we do business with, you know, as individuals or that are, you know, in a B2B environment as well, that they need to also step up and be making sure that they're protecting the accounts and they're doing as much as they can to validate the identities that are accessing their systems, you know, to help here as well. Is there an area of this that you feel isn't really getting the attention it deserves, that, that needs more of a spotlight shown on it? You know, there's a lot of focus these days in, in, the, in the IT and security communities around zero trust environments, which is really around, hmm. you know, saying, uh, you know, I'm going to break down this historical view of, you know, if you log into my network, you can then do anything once you're on the network. And I'll, I'll kind of lock you down on that initial login, but then I'll let you do everything. So breaking this down is good. Where I think that that's um, sometimes lacking and where I think we need to put a little bit more focus is on this idea of you know, going where the bad guys are to get the information, the same information that they have. So the area that I would ask people to focus on is understanding what information has been compromised about the identities that are accessing your system, be it employees or be it customers, and knowing is this identity stolen and should I trust it or not? And if not, then you want to kind of ramp up the authentication mechanisms that you have in place. Force 2FA, force a password reset, uh, be stricter on your IP geo, um, you know, rules at that time. And so I think there's still more locking down to be done in terms of understanding what information uh, those bad guys have access to and incorporating that into the overall security posture of the business. How do you strike that balance between putting those sorts of things in place, but not introducing too much unnecessary friction for the users? That's where I think knowing what's been compromised can be the, the game-changing factor. So there's really two problems hmm. you know, that, that you have to focus on. One is, is as you mentioned, balancing uh, you know, security or balancing you know, reducing fraudulent activity with continuing to let business go. Um, right. There's an age old saying, if you want zero fraud, I can give it to you. It'll just be zero revenue as well, um, <laughs> you know, which isn't the right balance. So one is I think if you have the information about what's been compromised, if you can quickly, you know, in, in machine level quickness, you know, so seconds and minutes, not not hours and days and weeks of, of human time. But if you can quickly gain access to that information and integrate it into your system in an automated fashion. Um, then I think you can strike that balance. Hey, this is something that's been recently compromised. I should take action on it versus something that's been historically compromised and is just burdensome. And I think the second biggest challenge that we have is, you know, you're always trying to differentiate between is this the real user, right? Because Or is this someone trying to impersonate them? And because mm. these synthetic identities can get really good, it becomes really hard. Um, and so I'm sure there'll be a whole slew of new solutions coming out to to try to help around around this element. But the more you can fine-tune your rules, you know, use advanced models to try to make that, help you make that determination, does this look like a user? Uh, is the pattern of behavior consistent with how they typically access your system? 
which might be in a very complex omni-channel environment and such. Um, I think that's the other second challenge that that we have as as defenders is differentiating between the real user and the fake user so we can let the real user get in and, and do their job and do their business. You know, I think one other thing is that's important to always understand is you want to, this concept of matching the security actions to the risk of the transaction. And so depending on the type of application that I'm running, depending on the type of user, depending on what access level they have, the security controls I put in place might vary. I don't think there's necessarily a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, you know, if I'm logging into my bank or if I'm logging into my corporate HR system, I need to have a lot of protections, a lot of security controls and mitigations in place. If I'm, you know, logging into a, you know, more consumer-grade solution that doesn't have a stored credit card, that's maybe more of a freely sharing information, I might still want to have some validation, but it might be lower. And maybe I step up at the time they take a risky transaction or they take a, a credit card, you know, level transaction. So I think it's also important to, to really think about how to match the security actions to the risk of the transaction to try to walk that line of uh, not being too disruptive to the user, still allowing them to get their business done while mitigating the identity fraud and the security risk as much as possible. Our thanks to Recorded Futures' Jamie Zajek for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.